0: Oh, thanks, Austin. So good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Jonathan, one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome to you, or good morning to you tuning in online, as well as those of you who are here, <clears throat> excuse me, in person. Uh, there's three scriptures that I want to read. They're on the insert in your worship folder. They'll be on the screen behind me, uh, or you can follow along the Pew Bible numbers are listed there uh, as well. So if you want to grab the Bible that's in the pew there, uh, totally up to you. The reference in the worship folder uh, is wrong for Philippians, so I apologize for that. But I will read the correct version as we go here. So hear God's word, first from Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, "'It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth.' And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, "'Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven?' This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, just three verses there. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And then lastly, uh, from Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 3. um we're going to be taking the next 2 weeks uh, to acknowledge two very important days in the calendar of the church. Uh, Christians have always marked time differently than the rest of the world. Uh, and we begin our year with Advent and it runs through the church year that is runs through Pentecost and between Pentecost and the next Advent season we refer to as ordinary time. And that's intentional uh, because it's basically a time of living out the ordinariness of our lives, certainly not without the extraordinary power and partnership with the Holy Spirit, but we'll get to him next week. Forty days after the resurrection, the church marks Ascension Day, and that is what occurred actually back on May 13th, but we're going to pretend like it's today. And considering that today's graduation Sunday or an honoring of our graduates, it actually works out quite well because what I want to hope to convince you of, but especially graduates, wanna convince you of this. The ascension is critical for you. Why it needed to happen and why it matters today and into your future is part and parcel of why we're looking at it and spending some time with it. So the rest of you, especially the parents, uh, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for the work that you've done over the last 17 or 18 years. Um, As a parent of a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old, I wish I could say, isn't it great to get to the end of it, but it it ain't over after 18 years, as those of you who have children older than 18 and 20 know. It keeps going. You never stop being a parent, right? But all week, I have been thinking over and really meditating, praying, and even agonizing over these young men and women as I've thought about the ascension. So pray that I would keep it together, because those of you that don't know me, I actually am kind of a softie. Those of you that do, you know that I can be a softie. The three points of the outline are printed for you on the insert, and so if you'll take a look at those, these are the three points that we're going to walk through here, okay? First, the coronation, okay? Luke tells us the story of the ascension on purpose, and it is something we can't miss or forget or just pretend like Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were it. The ascension's critical. It's an important part of the story. But secondly, uh, what about commencement? What does it mean for Jesus' completion and commencement of his mission that he ascended? And you know, many of you, or some of you at least, and some of you are yet to go to commencement. Isn't it funny that graduation is commencement. We'll get to that. If you haven't thought about that to this point, shame on you. Or if a teacher or your principal or somebody hasn't mentioned it to you, shame on them, right? Uh, it's pretty important. And then lastly, the confidence. How does the Bible help us apply the ascension of Jesus? What kind of confidence do we need moving into the next phases of our lives, especially if you are a graduate? about all of us, really? And all three of these things apply to all of us. So why is the ascension so important first? It's the last piece of Jesus' work on earth before the Spirit can be sent. Again, next week we're going to talk about Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit. And so we'll spend a lot more time meditating on that. The book of Acts, where I read from first, is about the consequence of Christ's, uh, excuse me, Christ's ascension. His, his abiding presence, his energy fills the whole book. And it sets the stage for what will take place throughout the rest of the book, and indeed all of history, to today. And chapter 2, the Spirit comes, uh, and we're sort of off to the races at that point. The ascension follows and completes the resurrection of Jesus. It's necessary, because without it, his people are are not united to him. Paul says in Ephesians 1, we didn't read it, but he says we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And that's not possible without the ascension. The ascension is the final movement for Jesus to not just dwell in heaven, but to be exalted there. He reigns as the head of the uh, church and the head and king of creation. We read some of that earlier in the assurance of pardon. But listen, the ascension is the victorious march from hell into heaven. And as Jesus enters heaven, he enters as the conqueror of sin and death and Satan and the one who's ready to give gifts to his people. Look at verse nine, okay? Uh, Acts one, verse nine. Why the need for him to be lifted up and a cloud take him out of their sight? If the goal was simply for him to get back to heaven, couldn't Jesus have just vanished into thin air? You ever thought about that? Why this way? Well, Luke says he was lifted up because he was ascending to his throne. The ascension is the completion of Jesus' exaltation, all kings would take their throne by literally ascending to it. Now we don't have king. We don't have a king in the United States. Uh, we made sure long ago that we would never have a king. Right? Um, you can go to London, and you can go to Westminster Abbey, and you can walk up the steps to King Edward's Chair, which has been used for over 800 years in the coronation of kings and queens. But just because you walk up and sit down doesn't make you a king or queen, does it? I mean, you might think it does, but I got news for you it doesn't. I think Elizabeth would beg to differ, right? But as Jesus is being taken up, he's being coronated. His ceremony is a little different, though, because as he elevates above the disciples in space and time, he is symbolizing for them and us, by the way, he being elevated to a new authority and a new relationship. He's tracing out physically what's actually happening spiritually and cosmically. He's giving them and us a little taste into what the cosmos is doing as he is moving from the space-time continuum of earth into heaven. The ascension means that Jesus is absent from earth in terms of bodily presence, but now from his throne... The limits he had in terms of space and time are gone, and that's good news. Because everything he does, he does for his people. Because of the ascension of Jesus, you can face the world without fear, full of peace, knowing that we have a king who's directing history for the good of his people. Whatever you're facing, listen, graduates, especially, the next chapter for you, it has many questions, it has uncertainties. You know the old Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Well, that's true. Oh, the Places You'll Go but you have no idea where they are, and neither do your folks. But knowing that Jesus Christ is reigning, you can trust him. He's given you no reason to not trust him. He's supremely powerful and supremely good, and we'll get to both of those a little bit more here in a second. Because he has ascended, he is able to enter heaven to get things done for you that otherwise he wouldn't be able to do if he had stayed here. Right? The angels tell the apostles in verse 11, this same Jesus will come again in the same way you saw him go. Without the ascension, they can't say that. You realize that? When he returns, when he comes again in the same way that he went, only from you know up there, wherever there is, down to here, it won't be witnessed just by 12 people outside of one city in one part of the world, will it? It will be witnessed by the entire world And they will experience him and acknowledge him as Lord and King. But until then, as the disciples are staring at the sky, I love the uh, end of this. Uh, It's easy to miss, right? Go to uh, verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, what do you think that looked like? Right? Just gazing into heaven as he went. (laughs) Here come the angels. Two men stood by them in white robes and they said, Hey, guys, snap out of it. He he's, he's left, he's coming back, but until then, there's a lot of work to do, so get a move on. Jesus' mission is moving into a new phase because he has completed all his assignments up to this point. Much like many of you, well, hopefully, you're not going to have any uh, phone calls tomorrow or emails waiting on you in the morning from, you know, your guidance counselor. Um, one or two assignments that so-and-so didn't get to they don't get them done by the end of the day, they're not going to walk, okay? Jesus had completed all of his assignments. Graduates, hope you have too. And a new phase, a new chapter, so to speak, is commencing. Now, have you ever wondered why a graduation ceremony is referred to as commencement exercises? I love that. Your, your completion of high school marks the commencement of a new chapter in your life. That's why we use that term. But it comes at the end of your high school career. Similarly, Jesus' ascension comes at the end of his time on earth, but it marks the commencement or start of something new. Well, what has he completed? Jesus has spent his earthly life and ministry proving he's David's greater son, the righteous branch we read about earlier in the reading of the law. He heals the sick. He forgives sins. He brings good news. His name is indeed the Lord is our righteousness. And the reason for that is because in him... We don't have to earn righteousness. We don't have to get everything right or performed perfectly. He earned a righteousness in our place, making him our righteousness. That's the king the Lord is promising the people in Jeremiah. And that's the king you and I get in Jesus. Now, if you look specifically at Philippians, uh, the passage printed in your worship folder, uh, Paul traces Jesus' journey from birth, where, of course, he was not born in a palace but in a stable, to the cross, which was a death of terrible shame and public humiliation. And in doing so, in tracing this out, he's saying, if this is true of Jesus, the rightful king, then it's our journey too if we are following him. The way down is the way up. The only way for Jesus to be exalted and given the name above every name to ultimately ascend to his throne was to first go down out of heaven to the dirt of earth, humbling himself, enduring injustice, mockery, Hatred to death and hell itself. That's the only way. After all, he doesn't appear very kingly throughout his life, does he? No, like David in the Old Testament, much of Jesus' life is veiled by humble, lowly circumstances. He was a carpenter with not much in the way of material possessions. C.S. Lewis in uh, Mere Christianity said, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And ultimately, Jesus tells us that the only way he can prove he's the rightful king is to humble himself and be treated as a slave. And like him, he says that the great ones in his kingdom are those who take the low place and serve others. He says that's where you find freedom in losing yourself. That's where you find yourself. It is, needless to say, the very opposite of what our culture and society is telling us. Uh, One writer says this about the current state that we live in. He says, the only moral measuring stick that can be applied to behavior is whether it contributes to the feeling of well-being in the individuals concerned. And graduates, you breathe in, breathe out. You eat, sleep, and drink that worldview, whether you realize it or not. He goes on to say that the key to a meaningful life in our day and time as a sort of a general cultural way of looking at things. The key to a meaningful life is discovering one's authentic self within and enacting that inner self's desires despite external opposition from things like tradition or authority or religion. Ugh. tradition, authority, religion. Ugh. Who's our culture working to convince us is the rightful king? Well, if we're honest, all of us want a throne All of us want a place from which to rule and influence others, right? Now, usually when we say something about Jesus, we say that's an amen moment. But what I just said about all of us wanting a throne, a place from which to rule and influence others, all of you should say amen. Because if you don't think that about yourself, you are deceived. Young Padawan. Okay, the people in Isaiah's day, they wanted the same thing. Joe, can you put the Isaiah slide up? This is our problem with the ascension. This is our problem in general, really. And because that TV's not working right now, I just have to double check. Not that I don't trust Joe, but, you know, it's just you got to look back and make sure you're seeing it. This is Isaiah 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's our problem. Because who's the subject of that whole paragraph? Me, 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 me. Right? Graduates, uh, what's going to make the world a better place is not you following your dreams or your feelings, what Oprah calls the GPS system for life. You're going to make the world better by following Jesus, who's the only king who's ever gotten down on his hands and knees and served his enemies. Wash the feet. Of his enemies. If you look at Philippians 2, 3 to 4, they're not printed for you there, but hopefully uh, you can see them or, or look them up. You'll see what prompts Paul to write about Jesus's journey. He tells the church, don't live as rivals or conceited people. Consider everyone more important than yourself. Look out for them first and yourself second. And his motivation for this appeal is Jesus, because he says the power to live in that way The freedom to live in that way is yours, but only in and through Jesus. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is whose, yours, but only in Christ Jesus. He says, you can become a person who serves their enemies too, but only through Jesus. You can find life and joy through service, but only through Jesus. In other words, you can run as fast as you can from the attitude of Isaiah 14 that says, no, no, I will ascend. I will take the throne. The world will do so much better, work so much better, go so much better if I'm in charge. Now, Jesus is coronated, but only after he has defeated his enemies, sin and death, he takes away their power by his death on the cross and being raised to new life on the third day. That part of his work has been completed, and it matters for us. Why? Because his defeat of sin and death was for us. Because sin and death are our enemies too. In his defeat, we get our defeat. You're no, you no longer have to go to the physical location of Judea to receive Jesus' ministry. Because after the ascension, he's doing all the things he was doing while he was on earth. Only now, he's doing them with access to anyone in any place. That's hard to grasp, right? Right? I mean, it is, but it's true. It's the reason why the ascension was necessary. The ascension doesn't mean the loss of his intimacy or leadership or advocacy. It means they're all magnified and infinitely available to the entire world, wherever you are, whoever you are. There's so many unknowns. There's so many questions. And again, I'm I'm thinking of the graduates here. It's scary to leave home. It's scary to try new things. It's scary to meet new people, all that stuff. But you can face the world with peace in your heart because there is one ruling. Look back at the assurance of pardon from Colossians 1. Uh, It's printed in your worship folder. The one in whom you can trust is the one in whom all things hold together. Did you hear that? All things hold together. You realize that means because of Jesus, the very cells in your body are held together right now. You don't disintegrate as a blob on the floor because he's holding you together. Everything, and I mean everything, Paul says, was made for him. The way down is the way up, yes, but you need confidence, don't you? I mean, graduates, you you need confidence because you might go from being at the top of your class in your uh, small class, in your small town, and you go from being the enormous fish in the itty-bitty pond to moving to one, some big school. Uh, I mean, take any of the schools in Florida, right? Any of the state schools, they're all enormous, 30, 40,000 students, to that size pond, and you become a very, very small fish. You need confidence, right? You need confidence to move into this untarted territory, and I would tell you, look to the ascended King Jesus. So I want to finish by looking at three specific areas of competence that the ascension actually gives to us, okay? Three, uh, three competences. Because he has ascended, then this, okay? So first, because he has ascended, Jesus apportioned very specific giftings to each one of you. Jesus has gifted you, all of you. Look at Ephesians 4, 7 to 10 uh, that I read earlier. He's not like any other king, In verse 8, the apostle quotes Psalm 68. And if you look up Psalm 68 in your Bible, this is what you'll read. You listening? You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. What it's doing is describing a very typical victory celebration, a very typical victory procession in the ancient world. The conquering ruler would process back to their hometown. They would be leading their army and a train of people behind them and the conquered people behind them. And the people would celebrate and cheer, but ancient kings would keep all the loot for themselves, right? All the treasure from the plunder that they had gained for themselves, but not Jesus. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 8. It says, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Jesus doesn't keep the treasures he plundered. Where did he get these treasures? Who did he plunder? Satan, death, and hell itself. And so he takes the treasures that he plundered from his defeat of his enemies and he redeems them into his service and then he shares them with you as he ascends. Graduates, you 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 may you may think you don't have any gifts. You may think your gifts are not use usable. You may think your gifts are very specific and all you'll ever be is a dot dot dot. It's not true. It's not true. Jesus is king and has ascended to rule at the Father's right hand, then every gift matters. All of you have been given something to be used for Him, by Him. See, part of what His kingship means part of what him being ascended to sit on the throne of uh, the right hand of the Father in heaven is that everything is subject to his rule. So, Christians are people who work to subject our cities, our schools, our factories, our farms, our businesses, every sphere of life to our Lord. And we get to expend our talents and resources and energy to testify to Jesus' kingship with the whole of our lives. Our labor is not in vain. No matter what it is that you're planning to do, graduates, you might have 8 or 10 or 12 more years of school ahead of you. Oh, I feel so bad for you. <laughs> uh, my wife has gone back to get her master's degree after many years of, uh, well, not being in school. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, don't wait. Do it all at once because <laughs> it's hard after, after uh, you've been out for a while. But our labor is not in vain. Whatever it is that you have got your mind on, or whether you know what that is or not, you can trust that whatever you end up putting your hand to, it's not in vain. Our confidence is not only that Jesus has commenced his rule from heaven, but that one day he will return to consummate his rule with a recreated heavens and earth. Because he has ascended, Jesus apportioned very specific gifts to each one of us, but secondly... Because he has ascended, Jesus is seated, and from his seat in the throne room of heaven, he directs history for two purposes, his glory and your good. Many times it will not make sense, but if we knew everything he knows, we would have done everything exactly the same. A famous statement in the Bible was made by Joseph. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He's the author of your story. Not your parents, not your friends, not your relationship status. I think that's a thing, right? Uh, Not how many followers you have. And listen, especially those of you finishing high school, your story is just beginning. It's not like it's over. It's not like, well, you know, I've blown it this many times. There is no more to my story. No, it's just beginning You're 17, 18 years old. There's people who live to be 95. Your story's just beginning. I mentioned above that in Jesus, all things hold together. He is supremely powerful, but in Jesus, all things also work together. He's supremely personal, and if you belong to him, then everything that happens ultimately happens for you, for good, as Joseph said. That's why he went to heaven to get things done for your good. Listen to the way one author puts it. The Bible isn't saying that every bad thing that happens to you is actually good or that every cloud has a silver lining. No, it's saying that from the vantage point of eternity, looking back on all of history, it will be clear that even the genuinely bad things that happened were incorporated and used by God so that in the end they only accomplished the very opposite of what they intended. We will see that evil things ultimately brought about more glory and good than if they had not happened. That takes faith. And only the confidence we have because of Jesus' ascension gives us the faith to believe that's true. We need confidence because God's plans are too intricate and complex for our little brains. But in the end, listen, in the end, the man who died for you, the man who still has the nail prints in his hands, the signs of his suffering for you, he's in control of everything. He is your confidence. So relax, right? Relax. We say this often around here. Uh, You're far worse than you think you are, but Jesus is far greater and more gracious than you could ever dare imagine. Stop taking yourself. So seriously, relax. Are you feeling anxious about the future? Are you feeling like you can't keep all the balls in the air that you have going, all the plates spinning? Firstborns, you can make mistakes. Jesus is the author, not firstborns, okay? I'm I'm thinking of Clay. He's at the very, very end, right? So all of his siblings have gone before him, and he's he's at the end. You don't have to compare yourself to your firstborn or your older siblings. Jesus is your author. Lastly, uh, because he ascended, Jesus is our advocate. Okay, and this is the most personal uh, and for me, the, the, the most uh, profound. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is interceding and advocating for you. What does that mean? The Bible says Jesus lives for intercession. He loves it. Praying for you and being your advocate is what gets him up in the morning. No, I don't think Jesus goes to sleep and you know, nods off beside the right hand of the Father or anything. But you get the idea, right? It's what excites him. He lives for it. Well, how does that give us confidence? Well, if you're accused of a crime, and graduates, I hope you never have to handle this or deal with this, but if you are, what is a defense attorney to you? It's your advocate. In court, your attorney actually is you, because if they are eloquent and persuasive, then you are eloquent and persuasive. It's why defendants don't often speak in court, or sometimes they aren't even present, because the court says Who is representing so-and-so? I am your honor. Uh, Their advocate, your advocate, is your substitute. Someone once said, in court, you disappear into your advocate. What a great phrase. Now, that's great if your advocate is great, but if your advocate is not very good, your case is toast, right? You don't want a bad advocate. You don't want a not-eloquent advocate. If you're going to be acquitted, your attorney has to make the case that the law Demands a not guilty verdict. Our confidence is in our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus says as our advocate about you and I, as he's in the throne room of heaven, this one must be acquitted because, Father, your justice demands payment for sin and you've already received that payment. Do you know where? In my blood. Father, look at what I've done for them. Accept them in me. See, Jesus As an advocate, as a defense attorney, so to speak, he knows the law, and the court of heaven respects him. With Jesus, your case is secure. Jesus ascended so we could disappear into him as our advocate. And so if you're a Christian, God sees you in Christ, in your advocate. In yourself, you're guilty, you're broken, you're deserving of hell, but in him, you're perfect, you're just, you're beautiful, you're righteous, you're adopted into God's family. Do you know, do you know the one who died is now the one ascended, representing you? If you do, then listen, uh, teenagers, if you do, you'll not care what others say about you. You won't need their verdicts, their measuring sticks of success. It doesn't matter who you have been or what you've done, it doesn't matter how flawed or how foolish you are or have been, what matters is where your confidence lies. What matters is what you're resting on. See, when the eyes of God the Father look at you, they see the ascended Jesus. And when they listen to you, they hear him. When God looks and listens, he sees and hears infinite beauty, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And graduates, as you head into this next chapter, do you want peace of mind? The answer is yes, you do. I mean, right, you may be like, oh, yes, the answer is yes, you do. Okay? Do you long for a self image not affected by the whims of social media or society? Do you want unsinkable joy despite the twists and the turns of the road? Okay? Yes, of course. I hope you do. Then look to the ascended Jesus. He's writing your story as the powerful and personal advocate. He's cheering you on, and so are we. He's cheering you on. And he loves you, and he has the wounds to prove it. So, pray with me. Uh, And let's pray on behalf of these students, especially. And students, pray with me uh, to this one who has ascended and rules on high. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you that we can trust you and we can have confidence in your rule because you have the wounds in your hands to prove your love and your care for us. Thank you that you are advocating for us. Thank you that you point to your work and not ours as the basis for our acceptance with God the Father. And we pray that we would increasingly enjoy peace and not be given over to anxiety or fear, that you would produce in us unsinkable joy, only made possible because you have ascended You've been coronated, and you now are exalted at the right hand of the Father, and your name is above every other name. You are, you are ours, and we are yours, as we sang earlier. So come and work those truths, massage those truths deep down into the depths of our souls that we would, in turn, live them out and find great confidence, not in ourselves, but to trust that there's only one who has ascended. There's only one who rules from a throne, and it's not us. And what great news that is. Help us trust you. Help us humble ourselves and lean into you as you write our story for your good, for rather your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Amen. So the promise of this benediction is the promise that the ascended one Uh, who now rules and reigns in heaven. He is writing all of your stories for his glory and for your good. This is the promise. It's the confirmation. It's kind of like we're trying to cement this as hard as we can into the bottom of your soul as you go. Uh, Receive these words. Hold on to them tightly. Uh, Teenagers, or graduates rather, Uh, congratulations. Uh, Very proud of you. Uh, We're for you, and so is he. So receive these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you, May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.